So we started a series uh, on the big questions of life this year. As we're going through the Word of God, we're looking at um, the big questions that are raised within them. We're going to be doing and starting an apologetic course on the 29th of April to deal with some of those big questions so that we can equip ourselves, we can, we can equip uh, young folk and that we can feel the sense of confidence that we are not believing something just randomly that is sort of like a, a great leap of faith for us because there's no substance to our faith. You'll find that as we go and study apologetics that there's a whole lot of substance to our faith. There's a huge amount of substance to our faith. And we want to equip you so that you feel really strong in your faith. So strong that you will encourage you to you know, begin a conversation with somebody who's from the Muslim world, something, somebody who's maybe a Buddhist or somebody who maybe thinks and believes that we all evolved from uh, something out of a pit somewhere. You know, you'll have some equipment to do that. So we, we, we're preparing those courses now and, and as we go through the weeks, they start on the 29th of April, which is a Friday night. Um, and we're going we're gonna to be running those. There'll be ideas that we'll be coming through the sermons as well that will to reinforce it. So there's some of the other big questions that we'll be facing as well. So today I, I'd like to talk to you about who's in control. That's the big question we started last week, who's in control. In the face of relentless and persistent evil, who's in control? Um, that sermon should be going up on the, my, on, on the uh, web page this week. We, we lost it in the uh, system last week, so it should be going up on the... So if you missed it last week, uh, you'll probably be encouraged to, by those who are here to, to have a listen to it because I think it has something to say to us. We are living in a place where there is persistent and relentless evil. And you just have to follow the news and, and look at what the um, social engineering folk who think that society should evolve into something other are trying to do and you'd be astounded at what's happening. It is relentlessly evil. But anyway, today we want to talk at and look at the question, in the face of the complexities of my life, who's in control? In the face of the complexities in my life, I feel like I'm out of control and I struggle to see how God is in control. And oftentimes I do some really crazy stuff when life gets complex. So I'm going to gra- grab the green mic here and I'm going to turn it on and I'm going to ask a question and then I want to you to just sort of see if you can answer that question. So if I turn that on, James, have you got that? There you go. Okay, now the question is, what do you do when this occurs? When the complexities of life press on you and you feel out of control, I want to know, what's your negative reactions? I don't want to know the positive ones because we're going to tell you about those, but what do you do that you know that's not appropriate? When the complexities of your life start to hit and you feel like you're out of control and you wonder whether God's in control. What do you do? Put your hand up and it's okay. Yell and scream. You yell and scream. So you get out of control. Like you you get angry and you make a lot of noise. Okay, thanks, Phil. Worry. So you go into a little room and you start to worry a lot. You start to think about it, over, 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 overthink about it. You think, because if we, if we worry and worry and worry about it, you know we can fix it, can't we? I find my normal response is to complain. Oh, you start complaining. That's like, you know, it's so bad, it's terrible, and I'm going to complain to everybody around me. And, of course, that really helps, doesn't it? Everybody responds well to complaints. Who, oh, you want to say something, do you, Rachel? I could see 
you're sort of straining there to look at me? Is it because I was... What do you do when life gets very complex and you think it's out of control? I like stress a lot. You get stressed. So you, what does that feel like? Can you tell me what stress feels like for you? Uh, well, it's really like tense and um, makes me feel really worried and anxious. You get, so you've got anxiety inside and you feel like you're on edge. Yeah. What do you do, Ayla, when things are out of control and it's really stressful? I stress eat. <laughs> you stress eat. Isn't that amazing, hey? Because that actually helps, doesn't it? Well, it makes it, it makes me feel good. You do a lot of ballerine dancing, don't you? You're a bit of a, is that is that complex and stressful? Yeah. And what do you do, Mint? Um, well, if it gets stressful, I find that I don't try as hard because, like, can't really be bothered. <laughs> so it just it takes your it takes your motivation away. You lose your motivation. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it? This, is, this is what happens when we get co- complexities in our lives start to press around us. We start to do some really crazy stuff. We start to do stuff that we try and control it. So we try and eat and think that's the way of control. We, we complain because we think that's going to control it. We worry because we think that that's going to control it. I wonder what Andy Kathy does. What do you do when life's complexities press upon you? What do you do? Don't tell me you pray. I cry. You cry. <laughs> Auntie Kathy cries. <laughs> I can't imagine that. Seriously. How many other people have interesting responses? Uh, where's um, Liz Bamford? Is she st- oh, Liz. Your life is pretty complex, Liz, isn't it? This is the last one. What, what do you do when life's complexities start to press on your life? Don't, don't give me the, the godly answer because I already know. I probably withdraw. So she hides. Who else hides here? Yes, isn't that a good one, hey? Let me find. I'm going down to the garden to eat some worms. <laughs> Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm being rejected. I'm going down the garden to eat some worms. Yes, I know that one too. I hide too. I, I, do, I just do all of those. I complain. I eat. I do all of those things. And I find that none of those things help me deal with the complexities that are in my life. Usually the complexities that are in, in our lives are things that are external to us and we have no control over them. And no matter what we do, it doesn't even help us in, because the complexities are usually external to us. And so that's the big problem. The problem is, you know, we can feel all of those things. We become depressed. We withdraw from, from our connections. We have muscle fatigue. We can feel, you know, so much stress in our bodies. And, and I think uh, Rachel was saying she feels tense that can start to make your whole body feel achy. Anybody feel that achy pain when you're under a lot of stress and it just aches, you just think, oh, I can't handle it any longer. We, some of us, God forbid, go into immoral binges. Oh, give it up and let's just do what I want to do. Oh, I'm just going to watch what I want to watch. I'm going to go and do what I want to do. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to worry about it. You know, the anger and the fighting that happens when we start getting upset and the crying and the depression and the negativity. Some of us get locked into smoking addictions or other addictions that we do. There's all this sort of stuff that we do just because of the complexities of life. Now, there's an interesting passage of Scripture that tells me something about what God can do 
in the complexities of our life. And that's found in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And it says, His divine power has given us everything that we need for godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. So he actually says, you know, complexity is not a problem for me. I can give you everything for life and godliness. All you have to do is know me, experience me. Come to know me in a real way, you know, and you will have everything that you need when you face the complexities of life. We're told in the next verse, he says, through these, that's his glory and his goodness. And I I want to talk to you about his glory. Through these, his glory and his goodness, he has given us a very great and precious, he's given us very great and precious promises so that through them, we may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world caused by evil desires. He's saying, you can sort of become partakers of God's grace and God's peace and God's countenance and feel like you're in control that god's in control in life and you can sail through these difficult times through those great and precious promises because he's given you his goodness and he's given you his glory now the word glory is an interesting word it means it's the word doxa in the greek and it means opinion you've always thought that glory means the shining out of something you know if you looked at that light the glory of the light talks about that which shines out from the light well it, well, it does mean that. But the root of the word, the root of the word comes from this idea of opinion, opinion, judgment of you, which means that because of his opinion, because of his judgment, because of his view, there is a radiation of his attitude out through a situation. So when we're talking about the glory of God, we're talking about the opinion of God with regard to whatever it is that you're worrying about. Now, when you get that and you understand God's opinion on the issue, that's kind of a settling thing. It kind of helps you to understand the stresses of life and it, it rests you, it rests your heart because you know that God's in control of those things, you know, that nothing that you can do can help those things. But his opinion on the issue is so important. And if you can get that and understand that, then the splendor of his view The glory of his view, the brightness of his view starts to change the way you see the situation that you're in. It says his goodness, and when it talks about his goodness, it's talking about his excellence. It's talking about the virtue of his character. So his view on something and the goodness of his character in something provide for us wonderful promises that enable us to partake in God's character and nature in the midst of those very complex times in our lives. The problem is, in the face of complexities of life, we struggle with recognising that God's in control. Now this week, you will have read Luke 24. Is that right? Luke 24, in your reading program, was your New Testament scripture passage Luke 24 what's happening in Luke 24 don't you know you forgot last chapter of Luke resurrection is taking place the road to Emmaus so Luke 24 we have this in account uh, it's been a very complex weekend for the uh, for the disciples, Jesus has been taken. He's been 
tortured and he's being crucified on the cross. Very complex situations, complexities pressing on them. They are feeling overwhelmed with the horror of what's just taken place. Their Messiah, their, their Savior, the one who was coming that they had hold, put all their hope upon, has been taken away and been killed. That's complex. Uh, you know, you thought it was bad on Friday when they grabbed him, but, or Wednesday, was it Wednesday when they grabbed him? But now, you know, it's, it's Sunday and we've gone to see where he is and we got there and the tomb is open and there's nothing inside. He's gone. Now it's really puzzling. It's really, and the angels came and said, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? So we are now really confused about this whole thing. We saw him hang there. We saw them take him down from the cross. We saw his broken and smashed body. We saw it laying in the tomb. We were heartbroken and grieved. We didn't know where to turn to next. Life had become very complex for us. Who's in control now? Difficult. And now, now we go there and we can't find Jesus. And the women have come back to us and told us that there's some guys there, angels there, whose robes were brighter than light, standing and saying, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? We don't understand this. And then Jesus comes and stands in front of him and says, here I am, guys. You got something to eat? It's like, oh. Two of the guys walk off. They go to the... Road to Emmaus. And the complexity of the day of the weekend is crowding their minds. The Bible says that they were kept from seeing Jesus. Now, I wonder sometimes about that being kept from seeing Jesus, whether it was because their minds were so clouded with the complexities that they couldn't recognize him, or whether God just shut off their minds so that they couldn't recognize him. But we know one thing. All they were doing was chewing over the horrific things that had taken place. Jesus was able to walk right up to them and walk alongside them without them even recognizing him. What are you talking about? As you're walking along the road, he says. Are you the only one here that hasn't, doesn't know what terrible things have taken place in Jerusalem over the last weekend? What is this? And then they began to tell how Jesus, the one that they had hoped was going to be the Messiah, had been taken by the high priest and had been crucified. And now, and then Jesus with his wisdom begins to explain to them how God was in control of every event that took place on the weekend. How he began to, from the very beginning of Moses, start to talk about how this is what was meant to take place, that God was in control. He had everything planned, every complexity that occurred on the weekend and their heart didn't grasp it. God was in control of it. He knew all about it and had written it down beforehand. If only they could have seen it. They still didn't recognize him. Sometimes in our lives, we get so full of the complexities and the difficulties of life, we cannot see God and we can't see Jesus. If he were to stand in front of us, we would be blind to him. 
Because the only thing that's in our vision is the problems that we face. It's the difficulties and the complexities of life. We don't understand what Paul wrote in first in, in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. That God worketh all things to the counsel of his will. You lost your job. You don't know where the money's going to come from to pay the bills. It's the worst thing that could have happened to you right at this particular point of time of your life. You don't feel that you've got a hope of getting another job. You got sick just when you needed to be working and get some money in for it because you've got little kids now. You've got bills coming in. It's the heavy time of the year with so much pressing down on you. And now you're out and you don't have any insurance to cover. Oh, God worketh all things to the counsel of his will. We do not appreciate the sovereignty of God in our lives when things get difficult. We shudder and we think, what do I have to do now to control the situation? What am I going to have to do now to try and pick up the ends? What am I going to have to do to try and make it right? We sit at night time and pace backward and forward in the dark, trying to think our, main, our minds through what, what next step we need to take to get through the problems because we have to be in control of it. They couldn't see Jesus. And walking along and their hearts were burning within them, they, they could hear the words and, and they felt something of something stirring deep within themselves that... This man was speaking to them about that everything is all right. God's got it all in control. It's just exactly what God had planned, you know. And, and inside it was stirring in them, but they still, still could not see Jesus. And he came and he says, oh, I'll see you later. I'm going on. And he, they said, no, 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 it's getting late now. Then why don't you just come and have a meal with us? <laughs> I love the way Jesus did this. He grabbed the bread and he broke the bread. And when he broke the bread, they recognized him. This is Jesus. And then he, out of their sight. They got up immediately and ran back to Jerusalem and said, it's true. We saw him. Our hearts burned within us. He told us something in the complexity of our situation. He is in control. Well, Mate, what sort of a life are we living now in this complexity? This world is a very uncomfortable place for Christians at the moment. If you're in Syria, it's uncomfortable. If you're in any Arab nation, it's uncomfortable. If you're in any country in Europe, it's uncomfortable. It's definitely uncomfortable in Australia. Christians are considered to be extremely out of touch with change and the more you go on in education the more you go on and you're learning the more aggressively the world starts to speak against your faith it gets more and more complex and you wonder how can i keep on going who's in control jesus is always in control in the face of all the complexities of your life We need to acknowledge him and his control. Amen?
I sat with a friend yesterday who'd gone through some very difficult situations in their lives. And you would think because of the choices that the person had made that maybe God wasn't in control, you know, because it was difficult for them. You know, they had maybe done the wrong thing and bad things had happened because of that. And, you know, God told me to tell them, even though you do the wrong thing sometimes, God is still in control. It doesn't change because God sees before you even do it what you're going to do and has somehow woven that into his plan. We talked about Esther, the book of Esther. This person felt like they were exiled. Exiled mean put out somewhere and not allowed to come home until you've been good. You're out in the wilderness. And they felt they were exiled and that, you know, they can't come back into community until they're going to be good from now on. Isn't it wonderful, the book of Esther? It's written to people who are exiled, out of touch with God. Well, all the rest of the Jerusalem, all the rest of the Jews went back to Jerusalem and they were setting up Jerusalem again. And those who stayed in exile, those who stayed in Esther, Mordecai, well, the, the name of God's not even mentioned in the book of Esther. You don't even get a mention in it. And God. Maybe God doesn't care about people who make mistakes, don't make the right choices. Don't move towards him. Get left behind. God's not interested. You're left behind now? Well, then you die in it. Because, ah, oh, we're moving on here. That's not the spirit of Jesus. That's not the spirit of God. He locks after and goes chasing the lost one. And he goes chasing the Jews in the book of Esther. Mordecai sets up his little cousin to be queen and a beautiful little exchange that jesus arranged in the in the backwoods of his mind and he put esther right there so that she could stand up while she was in exile and look after the people who were in exile everything had a plan god worketh all things to the counsel of his will now listen you might have been through some bad stuff. You might have had bad stuff happen in your life. You may have made some grievous mistakes in your life. But I want to tell you something. Those grievous mistakes don't necessarily have to make your life more complex and less able to serve God. If you can just wake up where you are and recognize where you are, that in the complexity of your life, God has a plan for you. And begin where you are now to shine for Jesus and listen to him because he can take that thing that is bad and he can turn it into good all things work together for good for them that are called according to his purpose even your mistakes can work together for good you can be found somewhere and if you turn your face toward jesus and look into the face of jesus and say jesus you are in the middle of this complexity i acknowledge you here right now he can change it in the split second, he can change it because God is sovereign. I want to take you, we're starting now the book of John. 
And uh, you'll be looking at the Gospel of John, probably the first chapter of John this week. So I'm going to give you a bit of an overview, like whiz you through some of the chapters. And the reason I want to do that today is to give you a little bit of an insight at how much control our Lord really has. In the first book, in the first chapter of John, we're introduced to Jesus and he's called the Word. It's an interesting little discussion that John has. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with him. All things were created by him. There was not nothing, anything that was made that was not made that he didn't make. So he introduced to this idea the Word. Now, the word in the Greek is the word logos, and it's it's not just the word. It has a full body of intent. It means depth of knowledge, information, philosophy. It's, It's a full word that means a whole body of information in like you couldn't put it in a, in a nutshell. It's like the word. It's the total. It's the whatever that. It's the complete. So the idea, it talks about complexity. Complexity information. One of the, one of the amazing things that, that, uh, that you can look at when you look at the cell and you break down into the cell and look at the DNA of the cell is the complexity of the cell. That's the thing that those who believe in evolution hate because if you believe in evolution, it's meant to be simple cells multiplying and if you make a situation where it's too complex, we know that it can't start by itself. It's impossible. Well, the DNA is the center of the cell. It has three billion connections between four major chemicals, and they wind themselves together, and in them is this information equal to about four Britannica encyclopedias in in full. Information about that much information. So you've got one Britannica encyclopedia, you put four of them together. All that information is wrapped up in one cell. Now, the cell can't exist, exist unless it has 20 proteins that help it to exist. But it generates those proteins so it can exist. So it has to have the proteins. It makes the proteins. So they had to have all been there. And I say, oh, well, that's pretty difficult for that to evolve to come into one being just by random selection type thing. But if it did, they still haven't explained all the information that got bound up with it all, that tells everything in your body what to do and how to do it. It tells your hair it's got to be brown. It tells your eyes they've got to be blue. It tells your heart how to beat. It tells you what sort of heart you're going to have. It tells you the color of the skin you're going to have. It's going to tell you how your nails are going to grow. It's going to tell you how your ears are going to look, inside or outside. It's going to tell every part of your body exactly what to do. And it's going to set it in motion. They don't know where that came from. Oh, no, that came from the Logos. The Logos. Oh, very complex, that Logos. In the beginning, the word. So your complexities, how big are they? How problematic are they? How difficult are they for you to get your head around? I want to tell you something now. You can just take all of those big complexities that you're facing, you can put them in a big bundle and you say, Logos, 
Jesus, I come to you now. You sorted out my DNA. Please sort out this stuff. He's big enough to look after it all. Amen? When you get to chapter 2, you find a story about he's going to a wedding and when you go at the wedding, you know, they run out of well, out of, out of uh, wine. And Jesus, this is the first miracle he's going to do. He comes along and, and he doesn't want to be seen. He's just being coy, you know. And his mother says, tell Jesus about it. Do whatever he tells you to do. So Jesus says, go and fill up the buckets with water. Fill up the big drums. And when they drew out of the drums, the water had turned into wine. Not just ordinary old wine, but the best wine. So you might face complex situations in your life where you keep on feeling that you are less than good enough. That your life just does not have the quality that it needs to have. That every time that you look at your life it's less than what it needs to be it just can't make the grade everybody else seems to have better wine than you do listen to me friend you know someone who's the master of quality take your brokenness go to jesus and ask him to fix it up he's all about that complexity he can turn the least thing into the best thing all you have to do is acknowledge him in the midst of your situation you go to chapter four and you see in chapter four jesus says i need to go through samaria and as he's going through samaria they say well, why do you want to go through samaria it's shorter going this way he says, i've got to go to samaria you see i have this appointment to meet this woman who's an ostracized woman from society who's kicked out from society doesn't want to and uh, Samaritan? So they rush off and Jesus sits down and he makes his appointment with this woman who's ostracized by society. Complex situation. Five husbands and the one that she's living with now is not a husband. Complex circumstances. Not only that, she's a Samaritan. You don't talk to Samaritan woman. Difficult. Complex. But listen, friends. Do you know and have you experienced the master of those interactions? The one who can take you and put you somewhere, even though it's odd and difficult for you, and do something in your life that's different, even though your life may be fully messed up. Do you know and have you experienced the words of a master that says, if you take the water I give you, and you drink that, you'll never have to come to the well again. Jesus is all that you need. Everything that you need for life and godliness is found in him. The complexities of your life don't scare Jesus. He knows about those. Chapter 4, I think it is, it's not, chapter, chapter, chapter 4, he also talks about a, a boy who gets... Father, he's coming. He says, my son is sick. Can you come? And Jesus looks at him and says, go, he's going to be better. Well, he's in a faraway place. But the man looks at Jesus and says, okay, you said it. I'm going to have to believe it. And he starts off home. And by the time he gets nearly home, they're coming out of the place. And they, he says, uh, don't worry, your son's well now. He says, what, what time did this happen? And uh, they said, about this time yesterday. And he knew it was the time that Jesus said it. 
And Jesus said, you know, you might feel that your situation is complex because you might be feeling out of touch in a faraway land, distant away, far away from somewhere where you need to be. Listen, Jesus is master of, master of that distance. He can bring you back. He can send his word. He can fix it up. You don't have to worry about that. In chapter 6, he's master of quantity. You know, he plays with his disciples. You notice how he plays with his disciples? He says, feed the people. Well, how many have we got here? We've got 5,000 men to start off with, not counting women and children. He says, you feed them. How much bread have you got? This is complex, Jesus. We did the sums on this. We worked it out. Even if we had 200 denarii, it wouldn't have been enough to feed them. You know, it's, this is, how can you just say feed them, Jesus? Don't you understand the complexities of the situation? The, the food is a long way away. We're not even there. And even if we had it, we couldn't carry it all back. And we don't have the money. How is this going to work, Jesus? Jesus says, feed them. I can just see him smiling because he's not worried about the complexities of your lack. He knows what he can do. He can multiply the bread. You see, do you experience that Jesus is in control of your complex situations? Are you experiencing him? Do you know him? Or is your problem bigger than your Lord? That's the problem we face. Our problems crowd our vision. We walk along the road to Emmaus and we do not recognize that in the midst of this journey, Jesus has approached us and said, I can give you everything that you need for life. And God, and it's through the knowledge of me, just look at me now, I'll tell you what I to do. And we get so caught up with the problem. Now what about that woman who's caught in the act of adultery? John chapter 8. That's problematic. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? You know, you, oh dear, they open the door, there you are. Right, got away, you didn't drag you in front of everybody, shame you and put you down. This is a difficult situation. You're caught now, Jesus. What's the law say? Stone her. What's Jesus say? Oh, you know, how's he going to get out of this complex situation? He knows love. Jesus is the lover. He knows what love is. He knows that love is relational. It cares for the woman. It's also principled. It knows what she's done is wrong. But he's not going to let somebody else control the situation. He's not going to let those who are wanting to stone her and trying to trap him control the situation. Jesus is the master of it. He sits down and he starts to ride in the sand and one by one, people are leaving because of their guilty consciences and then there is none left and he says, where are they that accuse you? There is none that accuse her. Jesus can deal with that complexity. I love that. Oh, I love Jesus. Think about it. How big is your problem? How big is your problem? How awful is it? When you look at it, do you think this is the death of me? This is going to kill us? Are you doing everything in your power to try and fix it, but you have no solution to it? Listen, stop. Everything that you need for life and godliness comes through the knowledge of Jesus. He has it there for you. Born blind in chapter 9, 
The man born blind in chapter 9. Who's sinned that this man has been born blind? No, this is just plain old misfortune. He's got born blind. And Jesus is in control of that. Your situations, you know, you weren't there, you know, and my God, you know, I wasn't raised where you were raised. My mummy and my daddy left me and I was adopted. Now, this is a story, this is not me. I was put in a home and abused. I don't, everywhere I went, I was used. My whole life is now screwed up inside. I don't know who to trust or what to trust. I'm so messed up and I'm angry. And those opportunities that you had when you were five or six years old, I never got those opportunities. Those opportunities of education that you had when you were in teenage years and you went to university, I never had those. Those opportunities weren't even afforded me. I was just trying to keep my head clear in between drug addiction and all the other things that I got trapped into. All that misfortune. Just weren't born in the right family at the right time with the right opportunities. Listen, I want to tell you something. Jesus is bigger than your misfortune. He is master of those situations. You find it with Jesus. Run to Jesus. Everything that you need for life and godliness in the complex situations of your life is found in Jesus. In chapter 10, he's the good shepherd. When you feel struck and lost somewhere, he'll leave the 99 and come looking for you. Odd that, isn't it, that God would come looking for you when you think that you're not worth looking for? You think it's very complex. Here I am, lost, no one cares. And then somebody comes up and says, Jesus loves you or cares about you. Strange, that isn't it? He's bigger than your problems. Even the problem of a death, you know. They thought, Jesus, if you had been here earlier in chapter 11, in John chapter 11, you would have done something and stopped Lazarus from dying. But he purposefully hung back so that Lazarus would die. He said, Lazarus has fallen asleep. Let's then go. Like he waited to make the situation more complex than it already was. So that he could show you something. That even death and all its complexities, even the horror of it all, doesn't need to stop you and cause fear to, because he has taken away the sting of death. He will cause you to live again. You don't have to live in fear of things in this life. You just have to live in faith of Jesus. I love chapter 18. Here we have Jesus in the midst of this complexity. He's come out of the, um, the, the Passover. He's gone to the garden. He's in the garden now. He's gone away. He's prayed three times. Oh, God, if there's any way, let this complex cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You're in control. You know what you're doing, God. I'm going to just go with you. I'm going to flow with you, and that's fine. Judas comes in. He comes, and that's him there. 
And he comes over and kisses Jesus. And just so you get the right idea that they didn't take Jesus, but Jesus gave himself, he asks a simple question. It only occurs in the book of John. He says, who are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus. And he uses this word. He says, I am. That's all he said, I am. He didn't say, I am he. He said, I am. You might recall those words coming from the bush in the burning desert when God said, I am, that I am. That's who you tell us. So when Jesus said, I am, John is very precise in what he says. There are 600 men in that cohort that are standing around with spears and clubs. And he tells us they all fell over backwards. Oh, I like that. You can't mess with Jesus. You can't take him against his will. You can't cause him to die when he's not ready to die. He will take it all on the cross and still be alive at the end of it. He will look at your face and say, it is finished. You cannot kill him. No situation that you face is too big for Jesus. He's been through it all. And if you've got Jesus in you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, John says. John says, you're of God, little children, and have overcome them because Jesus lives inside of you. I want to tell you, in the complexities of your life, there is one thing that you can have. Sure, sure, Jesus is more able to deal with them than anybody else. And he will bring you through. Trust him. And when Peter says, we have everything that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of God, he is telling you, just get to know him better. Just get to know him better. Just stop when the complexities surround you and acknowledge him. Acknowledge him in all your ways. And the Bible says, and he will make your path straight. You lose it because you don't look at the one who's brighter and smarter than everybody else. You lose it because you turn your gaze inward on yourself and see your inadequacies rather than turning your gaze outward at him and seeing the possibilities. Friends, who's in control in the midst of the complexities of your life? He is. And he knows everything that is going on. Just spend some time with him and he will sort it for you. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We really love you, Jesus. We look at life and it's really difficult at times and we look at the circumstances in which we live. Father, you said it as it was in the days of Noah, so it's going to be in these days as it was in the days of Lot, so it'll be in these days. And we look around and it's getting messier and messier, more and more filthy, Lord. It presses on us and our righteous hearts are vexed by the evil that's around us, Lord. And we can't get away from it father and we get caught up in it and we get dirt on our hands lord and we we get all messed up in our head and we get so confused at times lord and we despair about life itself and we wonder lord jesus are you still with us and father we know that if we lift our eyes that you never leave us nor will you ever forsake us 
where we may boldly say the Lord is our helper and we not fear what man should do to us. Jesus, the problem is ours. We stop looking at you. We've stopped experiencing you. And we're sorry, Lord Jesus, for taking our eyes off you, from setting ourselves and our eyes upon the things that are worthless. Jesus, help us to spend more time with you and to bring the complexities of our prayers and our problems and our situations to your feet so that your rest and your peace can be our portion. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.